In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. 23 years ago, Stanley was a student of mine in my weight training class at Westlake High School in Waldorf, Maryland. He was a fun-loving kid. He had a learning disability. School wasn't his thing. And he was the starting tackle on our football team, which took us all the way to the state semifinals. We were so proud of that group of guys. And on one wintry day after the weight room closed down around 4 o'clock in the afternoon, Stanley asked me if he could catch a ride home that day, which wasn't unusual. Our principal had asked the coaches if Stanley asked, please give him a ride home. And if you have a chance, buy him dinner. Because if we didn't buy him dinner, he didn't know where dinner was going to come from. So we did. I always kept a couple bucks and took him and bought him some dinner, make sure he had some fruit and vegetables as well. But then I took him to his home for the first time. It was kind of my duty to do so. So we're driving down this beautiful country road in the thick forest of southern Maryland where he said, Coach, that's my road. There was no street sign. It was just a dirt road. And I turned left down this road, and he goes, that's my house. Stanley's house, where he lived by himself. He had lived by himself since he was 11. Social services couldn't catch him. He was that spry. <laughs> it was an amazing story. But he lived in a trailer it's wintertime in Maryland, and it's cold in Maryland. It's about 20 degrees outside, and there were no windows in his trailer. It broke my heart. But I said, Stanley, you can't stay there tonight. And he goes, Coach, I've been doing it for years. Don't worry about me. I'll see you in the morning. Gets out of the car and just goes in the house, which he called house. My heart sank because... Stanley was this laughing, singing, big, smiling young man, and it conflicted with the absolute beauty of the landscape of the area. You know, and it disrupted my world. I, I've never been the same. You know, because I grew up in Fairfax, Virginia, with its beautiful half-acre, acre lots, each home built by a different developer, very unique with more than enough food, clothing, and resources to take care of my needs, it did not prepare me for this, the unspeakable encounter of absolute stunning, beautiful countryside with absolute poverty. And I asked myself, what could I really do to make any difference in Stanley's life? And if I could, what would it look like? More importantly, what would this encounter, was this encounter for me to make a difference in Stanley's life, or was it for Stanley to make a difference in mine? Disruption, as defined by the dictionary, is an event that creates confusion or disorder. Or it can be seen as something that interrupts. And as we th see throughout the scriptures in a healthy Christian walk, I believe it does both. When our long-held beliefs are contradicted by our experience, or challenged by competing, compelling alternatives, we often feel disruption. When we encounter something radically different than anything we've ever known or experienced, 
we feel disruption. When human relations are frayed or fractured, we face disruption. Disruption interrupts our self-perceived efficacy and control and confuses all that we rely upon and trust. Yet in the sovereignty of God, the interruptions caused by disruption, as we see throughout the scriptures, can set us on a positive course in our walk with Jesus Christ. And we see this in our readings today. And we have seen throughout the last few you know, months the grand disruption of the original followers of Jesus. Can you imagine their joy on Palm Sunday as they came into Jerusalem filled with the messianic hope that Jesus would fulfill King David's chair and throne and this promise of the King of Israel that was promised so long ago and yet to their absolute horror, can you imagine surrounded in the dark garden of Gethsemane, Jesus hauled away like a common criminal. Their ideas of Messiah were disrupted. Instead of royal exaltation, Jesus was exalted upon a cross of untold suffering and agony. Plans to sit, their plans to sit on Jesus' right or left were halted, you know, and were scattered just as quickly as they scattered into the terrible night. But the disruption of the cross didn't have the last word. We know through Resurrection Sunday, as Jesus rose from the dead, the disruption of the resurrection interrupted all that we know about the natural course of life and death. It disrupted their ideas about what Messiah is. It disrupted their ideas about what it meant to live in the kingdom of God. Not a geographical kingdom, but a spiritual kingdom with one foot in the kingdom of heaven and one foot in the king of the world. And the disruption of the resurrection affirmed that Jesus is God. And Pentecost, this group of scattered, scared to death disciples were transformed into the God's heralds by the welcome disruption of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Peter the denier became Peter the proclaimer. Marie stopped at verse 12, where the lectionary stops. But you keep reading, and you see this, this denier become proclaimer was greatly used by God as this crowd of 3,000 came to trust in Jesus Christ that day. As he proclaimed, God raised Jesus up again, putting an agony to end the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made Jesus both Lord and Messiah. The Holy Spirit is the great disruptor of our lives, friends. And it's not a matter in Christ whether we have the Holy Spirit. It's a matter does Holy Spirit really have all of you. And so therefore, we see the disruption of the plans in their entire lives, and they were never the same. And rather than scattering in fear, those early disciples, 3,000 of them, did life together, sharing their resources, giving to those in need, and using their possessions to bless and for the benefit of each other. And the Holy Spirit is still in the transforming business. Amen? 
So the Holy Spirit desires to disrupt our lives, to come in and and overcome our convenient way that we typically live our lives in order to send us off in a new and abundant direction. And so God intends the disruption of Pentecost much as my disruption of taking Stanley home that day disrupted my world to make a difference in us. A difference so disrupting that it alters and changes the way that we think and the way we live and envision the world around us. And the Holy Spirit empowers us to do just that with His shalom, His peace. And so the way we influence our mission field of Avon Lake, Bay, Avon, and across the West Shore is the way we minister to one another in our marital relationships, in our family relationships, in our business relationships, in our recreational relationship. And as others see it, like a prisoner in jail, they are freed and they're drawn to God so that each one of us can now reach one person for the kingdom over the next six months. Are you ready? We only got six months left. We're called to it. And through us, the Holy Spirit can do us. So today, as a community of Christ Church, we're going to be disrupted as we surrendered the Holy Spirit's work in our lives and learn about ourselves both individually and corporately. The church health team needs our help. We're going to take a brief survey that will assist us to know ourselves better and the way we're wired, as I said in the welcome, there's, this is not a test, it's a survey. There's no right or wrong answer, it's a survey. When you come to the survey and you answer the questions, just check off the first thing that comes to your mind. It's okay. And what happens is we're going to learn individually, and therefore as we pull them all together corporately, how we can chart a path forward so that each and every week as we gather on the Lord's Day, we're coming with expectant hearts and experience authentic Christ-centered worship, which is inspiring. Okay? So let's have some fun. I would ask all the health team to stand up and distribute the surveys. The pens will come around. And what, as they're doing so, let me explain. Christian Schwartz is the founder of this natural church development, and our minimum factor this year was inspiring worship. And so, like I just defined it, it's Christ-centered and authentic. And so that we work together as a community to experience that. What he's discovered, God has made us, as you hear me say often, body, soul, and spirit reflecting the Trinity. And so when you look at every minimum factor, and I encourage you out on the bulletin board just to look at all the minimum factors and the Trinitarian compass of each factor. And what you would see when it comes to inspiring worship, each and every one of us has a leaning towards praise, a leaning towards form and liturgy, and a leaning towards teaching. So you're going to receive this. I'm asking you to fill it out both front and back. Whatever comes to your mind, just check it. And then Sybil's going to walk you through the different steps. Brian's going to play some music. And we're going to make ourselves available. If you have any questions, just raise your hand, and the members of the team will help you. Sybil, you have anything to add? (laughs) 
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. It was 23 years ago that Stanley was a student of mine in my weight training class at Westlake High School in Waldorf, Maryland. Stanley was this fun-loving defensive tackle. School wasn't his thing. He had a learning disability, but he was a great kid. He worked his rear end off for me. And by the way, Stanley's defense led us to the state semifinal in Maryland that year. It was a good, good year. But on one wintry uh, day, after the weight room had closed down after 4 o'clock, Stanley asked me to give him a ride home. This was not an unusual request because the principal had come to us and asked the coaches to give Stanley support because Stanley didn't have any support. He had raised himself. He would lived by himself since he was 11 years old, evading social services. And so, you know, he'd done pretty good compared to all the other kids that we were teaching at that time. And so I was driving him home, and we always kept a few dollars in our pocket to buy Stanley dinner, because if we didn't buy him dinner, nobody else would. And so we made sure he had some fruit and some vegetables, as well as some meat and some protein, because he was a 250-pound young man. And I'm driving down this beautiful countryside in southern Maryland, just gorgeous, thick forests, beautiful. And he says, Coach, that's, that's my street. There's no street sign. It's just you turn down a dirt road. Five miles back, there's these beautiful suburban mansions. But down his country road were nothing but backwoods, homes, and trailers. And he goes, just around the bend is mine, coach. And so I pull up, and there's about a 50-year-old trailer with broken out windows. It's 20 degrees outside. I go, Stanley, you can't spend the night here. He goes, coach, I'm all right. Don't worry about it. I'll see you in the morning. Gets out of the car and goes into his home. And I was heartbroken. Stanley was this laughing, singing, smiling young man who was the life of the party, quite frankly, it seemed. And his situation conflicted with what I saw day by day in the classroom. And it absolutely disrupted my world. You know, I grew up in Fairfax, Virginia, on these half-acre, acre lots. Each home was built by a different builder, uniquely built and designed with perfectly manicured lawns. We had want for nothing, more than enough food and clothing and resources to take care of my needs. And I was not prepared for that. I just wasn't. And then counter of unspeakable beauty around him, yet in the midst of utter poverty. What could I do to really make a difference, I asked myself, in Stanley's life? Would it ever be enough? Would it ever really make a difference? And more importantly, I had to ask myself, was my encounter with Stanley to make a difference in Stanley's life, or was Stanley to make a difference in my life? Disruption is what I felt. Uh, disruption by the dictionary is defined as an event that causes, conf- creates confusion and or disorder or can be seen 
as something that interrupts. I have found throughout the scripture and people who surrender their lives to the work of the Holy Spirit that that is the normative experience with the Lord in the Christian life. Because when you meet Jesus, you're never the same. When our long-held beliefs are contradicted by our experience or challenged by competing and compelling alternatives, we feel disruption. You know, we encounter something radically different than anything we've ever known or experienced, such as I did with Stanley. We feel disruptive. When human relations are frayed or fractured, we experience disruption. Disruption interrupts our perceived self-efficacy and our self-control and confuses all that we have come to rely upon and trust. Yet, in the sovereignty of God, the interruptions and disruptions that we endure can set us positively on a brand new course, ordained by the Lord God Almighty. And we have observed over the last few months how through these great disruptions of the Lord, the church we see today is built and established and begins to thrive. We've observed entering Jerusalem filled with great messianic hope. Jesus and the disciples entered on Palm Sunday. They believed Jesus to be the new king of Israel, fulfilling what had been promised to David long, long ago. Can you imagine their horror on the night in the Garden of Gethsemane when all of a sudden he was arrested as a common criminal? Where... He was taken away, not to be exalted as the king, but to be exalted upon a cross, suffering incredible agony. Carried away, their idea of Messiah was disrupted. But disruption of the cross would not be the last word. Rather, it was the disruption of the resurrection that interrupted all that we all now know is the natural course of life and death. It disrupted their views of Messiah. It disrupted the reality of what God's kingdom is. It's not a geographical kingdom. It's a kingdom that is worldwide. And it was his followers have one foot in the world and one foot in his kingdom. And so the disruption of the resurrection affirms to us that Jesus is God and Pentecost for all of us who have placed their trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. We have God in us, which is better than having Jesus physically by us. That's the way it is. And so therefore, this new direction empowers us with this disruption of the Holy Spirit into our lives. As Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, became Peter the denier to Peter the proclaimer. Keep on reading after where Jerry stopped in verse 11. Peter, who denied Jesus three times, spoke boldly, and 3,000 people, can you imagine, came to trust Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord that first Pentecost feast. He said... God raised Jesus up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Therefore, let the whole house of Israel know for certain that God has made Jesus both Lord and Messiah. Rather than scattering in fear, these disciples were now emboldened 
And what they did is they did life together, sharing their resources, giving to those in need, and sharing their possessions for the benefit of one another. And my friends, the Holy Spirit is still in the transforming business. Has he transformed you? He desires to disrupt our lives, to interrupt our current, convenient, individualistic living in order to set us on a direction that's ordained by him so that we can go forth into our world blessed to be a blessing and to share this good news. And what happens as we do so, it alters and it changes the way we think, the way we envision the landscape around us, and the way we live in this world. And the Holy Spirit will empower us to do that as he gives us his peace. And so the way we influence our mission field in Avon Lake, in Bay, in Avon, and across the West Shore begins in our lives, and in our marriages, and in our families, and in our businesses, and in our recreation, and as others seasons, uh, as, in other, as others see this reality in us, they're drawn to God. Each one of us reaching one of the people in the next six months. Can we do that? Do you believe God wants to use us in this way? You know you do. The question is, it has to go from our head to our hearts. The longest distance. And as we pray and ask God to use us as we go forward. And so today, we're going to allow our lives to be disrupted and surrender completely to the Holy Spirit's work in us as we're going to learn about ourselves and celebrate a new member of the covenant community. Sean David is going to be baptized, and we're going to witness it so that we can support Sean and Kira and John as the Godfather so that we can see in 15, 16, 17 years a young man of the gospel. We do not believe that the water saves. Let me repeat that. We do not believe the water saves. What we do believe is God is doing an incredible, sanctifying, mystifying work in and through the sacrament of baptism to Sean David, and he's making a promise to God that is Kira and Sean and John raise him in the kingdom of their family and the church that God will live into that promise as a covenant child and we're going to point Sean David to the reality of the gospel. Okay? We have that right as covenant people. So when you see little Sean David not acting appropriately behind Sean and Kira's back, we can say, hey buddy, I was there when you were baptized. Knock it off. <laughs> we can do that. We have their permission, and they need it as people of grace and truth, okay? And so this is a wonderful day, my friends. So we're going to have some fun now. In order to first be disrupted by the Holy Spirit, we need to know ourselves and how we are as a community. As you know, we're going through a process called natural church development, being a healthy church. This is not dealing with the, the, the visiting team that goes out and visits people in the hospitals and the homes. This is about being a healthy community all across the, 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 the facets of being a healthy church. 
And the one thing we know above all we need to work on is how we approach Sunday mornings together. All right? So we're going to pass out a survey. If you're visiting with us, we invite you to take it and just keep it. If you're a member or desire to become a member, the, the members of the health team will take it from you. And the point is, what we're going to be doing is taking this survey so that we can know one another and serve one another better. I'm going to invite the health team members to step around and start to pass out the surveys here in a second. I'm going to invite Sybil to come up and add some, some things that I've missed. And as you're receiving the survey, what you're going to notice is I, there is no right or wrong score, first of all. When you read the question, don't think about it. Just do it, all right? somewhat there's four five possibilities there whatever and then you're going to add up your score Sybil's going to walk through that and then you're going to translate those scores whoa those scores onto a color profile so you can know how God has wired you all right and the purpose of this is so that if you're really skewed one way you know well perhaps the Lord wants you to work towards another way because we are reflective of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are wired body, soul, and spirit. Well, the way we're wired in corporate worship is a Trinitarian compass as well. We are wired to praise. We are wired to liturgy and form. Or we're wired to teaching and learning. All right? And so what we want to do, and Sybil's going to talk about it some more here in a second, is just answer the questions real quick. Don't take a lot of time. We're not going to spend any more than 20 minutes on this, okay? Because we got a lot to do today and lots to celebrate. So make sure you have a pen that works and the health team is going around. And let's take a few minutes and then we're going to take the test. Sybil.